there's markets for everything. You have like the cheap customer market in anything, cars, watches, jewelry, anything. There's the people who will pay $100 for a t-shirt. And then there's people who will only pay five bucks for a t-shirt. So we saw on Amazon, tons of people selling the $5 t-shirt version of dog bandanas, but no one was selling the $100 t-shirt version. And so we decided, you know what, we're going to come in and we're going to be the premium brand. Welcome to another episode of High Fury Presents. In this episode, I talk to Andy Isom. Andy has been side hustling for over five years. He did blogging, YouTube, Amazon, and a bunch of other stuff. In this episode, you'll learn how to build a successful Amazon FBA business within 12 months and what tactics Andy used to grow his Twitter account from hundreds of followers to tens of thousands of followers in just one year. My name is Yannick, co-founder of Hype Fury, and I hope you enjoy the show. Annie Isom, great to have you on. I was uh, looking at your, you know, your YouTube channel, your Twitter account. Tell me how you how you jumped into like the the online world. Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, first of all, happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I've always been a business guy. Like I've always loved just business in general, even from the time was I was a kid. I mean, I don't want to sound too much like Gary Vaynerchuk, but I was into, you know, selling snow cones on the corner and, you know, just coming up with little things to make money. So it's always been in my blood, I guess, in my heart. But it really kind of started for me in college. I did go to business school. I actually thought my whole life I was going to be an engineer. Both my parents are engineers. So that's just kind of what I thought. Like, hey, like, I'm good at math. My parents seem to do pretty well for themselves. So I guess I'll be an engineer. So I went to college thinking I was going to do that, started taking a lot of math classes and realized, you know what, this is really boring. (laughs) And I ended up switching my major after my freshman year of college. And it was kind of serendipitous, I guess, that I got into business because I was just looking for something that would be really practical, like in the workforce, like what's a degree that I feel like is practical, something that is interesting to me. And so, yeah, I was like, hey, I'm like into business, uh, starting businesses, that kind of stuff. So I went the business school route and that's when it really, really started to, you know, become interesting for me, taking a lot of classes in marketing, entrepreneurship, all that kind of stuff. After I graduated, it kind of turned into the point where my eyes were kind of open to where I realized, you know what, in order for me to really reach the financial goals I have for myself, for my family, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to do my own thing. Like working for someone else, I feel like only gets you so far unless, of course, you know, you work up to the tip top of some big corporate world. You know, you're the CEO of IBM or something, but that's really hard, really competitive. And that's not really the lifestyle I wanted. Like I wanted to be free with my time more than anything, I guess. And so I started realizing, you know what? I need to start my own business. Whatever that is, I need to find a way to make income for myself outside of like a nine to five job. So back in like 2015, when I was finishing up school, that's when I really started to explore the world of online business. And I got into blogging, YouTube, all sorts of stuff. Cool. And so, and you you were 25 at the time. I think you're 30 right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so while you had your day job, you decided, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something else. I'm gonna start a, a side hustle. Yeah, so I got my first job out of college, and I was still working a little bit too while I was finishing up college. And so I was just thinking of, you know, how I could utilize the internet, especially social media back then at the time. I was really getting into listening to podcasts as I commuted to work. So I was listening to a lot of business podcasts. I listened a lot. That's that's back when I discovered Gary Vaynerchuk, Pat Flynn, Amy Porterfield, a lot of these digital marketers, entrepreneurs. And they talk a lot about, you know, using the power of the internet, social media, blogging. So that's when I really started to explore blogging, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, like all that kind of stuff. What were the things that stuck around? Because, you know, you have a pretty big YouTube channel. You have a nice Twitter account. Well, you try different stuff, but, you know, I don't think you're you're still doing the same stuff you did five years ago. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point. I am the type of person that I'm not, a tr- I'm not afraid to try anything. So the way that I kind of looked at it 
as far as online businesses, there were so many different things out there to do. If you Google anything related to entrepreneurship, you're going to get bombarded with Instagram ads from people, you know, do dropshipping, do YouTube, do Amazon, like, you know, with all their different business strategies. And so I just wanted to try stuff and see what I liked, see what I thought worked, see what didn't work. And so, like I said, I got listening to a lot of podcasts. Pat Flynn was big into blogging. So I started to blog and did that for a while. And the, the best part about like just trying stuff was I learned firsthand. First of all, I learned, I guess, how much work it would really take to be successful with it. So I, I realized like, you know, blogging, like, okay, this is what it takes to be successful with blogging, like building backlinks. This is how much time and how much money and effort it's going to take to make so much money. And then same thing with YouTube and Instagram and other things. By getting my hands kind of dirty, I realized what it would take to really be successful. And I learned, is this for me? Like, I mean, after blogging for a year or two, I realized, you know what? I'm not really that passionate about blogging. And so I realized, you know, I need to make a change. And I tried YouTube. And YouTube is still to this day is one that I still do. Video has been something that's really stuck with me, something that I've really enjoyed doing. And aside from like making money from YouTube or making other types of income in general from video, I just like the feeling of teaching people through video. So it's something that stuck around. And that's something that I just learned just from trying, right? Same with podcasting. So I did a podcast. I actually used to have a podcast a few years ago that I was doing for quite a long time. And I really enjoyed it. But it was one of those things where I realized how difficult it would be to monetize a podcast. And so it it kind of fizzled out and I kind of, you know, was moving in different directions, trying new things. But I mean, I guess for anyone listening, my big advice or takeaway is just don't be afraid to try stuff. I see a lot of advice out there on Instagram, Twitter, social media, and I don't want to bash it, but I see a lot of advice saying, you know, focus on one thing and one thing only and go all in until you're successful with it. Well, my thing is like, while you're young, this is the time to try a lot of stuff. Like if I were to go all in on blogging, let's say back in 2015, and I, that's all I did and I didn't give up till today, would I be a lot more successful with it? Probably. Like I'd probably be making more money than I was four years ago. But would I really enjoy it? Probably not. Because I learned pretty soon after a few months, a year that I really didn't enjoy it. So I like the mindset of try a lot of stuff, see what works for you, like see what's building momentum. Where are you growing the most? What do people want from you? And do you like it? And are you making money from it? Do you see potential for it? And then I think, I mean, I've only been doing this for, like I said, for like four or five years. I still got my whole life ahead of me. And I feel like I've learned so much in that time for what type of businesses I like. No, that's a good point. I think a lot of people, you know, they see a new thing, they see TikTok or they see, I don't know, a paid email uh, newsletters. You know, I, I know those things just are not for me. You know, I, I see that a lot of people make a lot of money with that, but I just know that, you know, if I do that, you know, I'm, I'm just going to burn out. And I think that's a good thing that while you have like a day job and I did that, I did the same thing that was 12 years ago. You know, I think in like the first week or two weeks, I worked at like an online marketing agency. And I think in the first two weeks, I started my own uh, blogs and websites and stuff, learned from the guys who were already there and just tried stuff. And, you know, the blogging that stuck around and I tried other stuff that just, you know, sizzled out. So I think it's a really good thing. Just stick to the things that you like, keep trying and, you know, how, how have you been dealing with like you're working, but you also have your side business? And I guess a lot of people think, hey, how's my boss going to react? Am I getting fired or won't I get my raises or stuff like that? How did you go about that? That's a really good question and a valid concern that I think a lot of people have. I'm honestly in a really, really lucky situation. So I work remotely pretty much most of the time, first of all. And even back when I first started, I was going into to an office almost every day, but I kind of got to a point to where I was really flexible with my schedule. So, you know, my boss was really easy to work with. And I think the, the biggest thing that helped me was just developing a really good relationship with my boss. I kind of developed that relationship where as long as I'm getting my work done for him and what he needs me to do, then what I do in my free time is my freedom, right? 
my boss is very entrepreneurial as well. So he likes to be, you know, exploring other businesses and projects in his free time. So we kind of have that mutual understanding of, yeah, like, let's get our work done for what we need to do. And then what you do on your free time is up to you. I get that a lot of people aren't that lucky. They're not in that type of situation or relationship. And they do. I know a lot of people just over on Twitter who are very afraid of like their boss finding out that they're on Twitter talking about quitting their job or making money online. So they'll have like an anonymous account. That's a real thing. And it's hard because there's not a whole lot you can do about it, right? I mean, if where you work or who you work for just isn't cool with it, you kind of got to just do the best what you can. I mean, it's easy to say like, go find a different job and work for someone who is a little more understanding, but you know, that's not, that's not quite that simple for a lot of people out there. But yeah, I, I've just had a lot of freedom to be able to pursue other business endeavors. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I guess there are maybe two types of bosses. I, the one I had at the, the marketing agency, he was like, you know, if you learn stuff in your side business, you're going to take that to the business that you're working in to my day job. And uh, he was, he was okay with that. But you know, other companies, bosses are, you know, less um, open to that. They, they see it more as a threat as in a opportunity. Yeah, for sure. And like what you just said, the same applies to me. I've used skills that I've developed in my own entrepreneurship journey in my real job. So a lot of video editing, graphic design, things that I actually wasn't hired to do. I was more hired to do, to do a lot of Excel business analytics type of stuff. But when a project comes up at work, that's like, you know, my boss needs this pamphlet or brochure or something designed. I can open up Adobe InDesign or Photoshop and do some graphic design work. Like I have those skills. Same with video editing, all sorts of other little things like that, marketing and things that I've learned over time. So yeah, it has been beneficial. Interesting. And so three years back, you went to YouTube and you decided to create your own channel. So I'm curious on what the trigger was for you to start. Yeah, that's a good question too. So the reason I started my YouTube channel, my YouTube channel has evolved so many times, which is not something I recommend. Like I recommend if you're going to start a YouTube channel, pick a niche or a niche or whatever and try to stick to it. I think you're going to have a easier time growing that way. But uh, I started about three years ago. I started in 2017, February 2017 is when I posted my first video. And I had the idea back then of creating iPhone tutorials and technology tutorials to help the elderly learn how to use their devices. And the big catalyst for that was my grandma just got her very first iPhone and she had no idea how to use it. And it was back during that time where like iPhones were really gaining popularity, getting more advanced. And it was also the same time period where a lot of the uh, older generation were making the switch. For a long time, the older generation was like, no, nah, I'm sticking to my flip phone. Yeah. And they held out and they held out. And finally, companies stopped making flip phones. So it was like, well, buy the iPhone. So during that time, I was like, I kind of saw like an opportunity of like, let me make some tutorials for the elderly on how to use their iPhone. Well, I learned something very quickly on YouTube. I learned that... Uh, Elderly people were not watching YouTube. <laughs> so Grammys were not on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, my grandma was not on YouTube. Grandmas were not looking up how to use their iPhone on YouTube. I mean, some were, but I'd look at my analytics in YouTube and I'd get like, you know, a huge majority of my viewers were like 20 to 30 year olds. And I was like, what the heck? I'm making these for old people. So, I mean, if you go back and watch, I still have my videos up there. I'm talking like super slow, like, click this button and I was getting a ton of views. To this day, I have an iCloud video that has over a million views. It's my most viewed video. Wow. And I'm like super methodical because in my head, I'm like, this is for an old person. Let me be slow, really clear. All the comments are like, this guy talks so slow, talk faster. You're so boring from all the 20 year olds. Yeah. And so then I was like, maybe I should just start making videos more catered towards, you know, who's watching my videos. So then I sped it up a little, picked up the pace, picked up the, the excitement, I guess we'll say on camera. 
started doing a little more advanced type of tutorial videos and my channel just started to take off from there. But then, like I said, yeah, over time, man, I've made so many different types of videos and gotten interested in different types of things. And now I'm making Amazon tutorials. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so you made, well, not, not quite the transition, but I guess you added like the FBA thing as a, as a business. When, when that, that happened? Yeah, that happened in 2018. So we started a dog bandana business with our neighbors. And the way that kind of started, I actually truly believe this is very, very critical to your success in starting your own brand. You own a dog, right? Yes, I do own a dog. First of all, I mean, that's obviously important. And I'll kind of touch on that here. When we started the brand back in 2018, my wife, well, first of all, that's shortly after we got our puppy. So we had just gotten a dog. And our breeder actually put a bandana on our dog, like around, you know, her neck. And I had never seen that. I had a dog growing up and we never put a bandana on her. And I didn't really know it was a thing, but it looked kind of cute. We're like, oh, she looks cute with her little bandana on. And so my wife would hand sew bandanas for our puppy, just for her to wear, like when we'd go on walks and go to the park. So we'd go to like Joanne's, buy cute fabrics, and my wife would sew these bandanas with her mom. I guess I should I should give her a shout out for sure. Um, so we'd make bandanas, and then people would ask us. I mean, we'd post pictures on our personal Instagram, and friends would be like, where did you get those bandanas for your dog? And my wife would just be like, I make them. So then people started asking us, can you make us some? And she'd be like, yeah, okay. So we'd ask what they want, and then we'd go to Joanne's, buy the fabric. My wife would sew them. We'd drop them off at their house, and then they'd Venmo us. Cool. And that's when like the light bulb went off in my head of like, we need to mass produce this. Like we need to do this at scale. So we got talking to my neighbors who are good friends. They just got a puppy at the time, like right after. And so we actually made them a bandana for their, they have a toy poodle. So her name is Rue. She's like seven pounds, really small. So we made her a little teeny bandana and we made it matching with Remy. Remy's my puppy. So they were matching. We took like cute photos and everything. And it was like an aha moment of like, oh my goodness, Remy and Rue, like this is our business. And so from there we started the whole, and I don't go super detailed, but we started the whole process of figuring out how are we going to turn this thing into a real business. I already had some Amazon experience in the past, back in like 2015. I talk about this on my podcast about, you know, my plastic sign holders and exploring the world of FBA and Jungle Scout. So I kind of already knew how that could work out. So I was kind of responsible for the whole business strategy side of things, whereas my wife and my business partners were more on the, the creative, like, what do we want this to look like? What type of designs, all that kind of stuff. And then I worked on doing all the manufacturer outreach and the strategy that way. On your podcast, you talk about, you know, the type of stuff you want to buy and that's, you know, stuff that doesn't break, that doesn't, you know, kill people or, or create accidents or, or, you know, create liability. And this, you know, the bandana is also a thing that, you know, is, is in that category. Yeah, I mean, I'll say it. it's a perfect product. Like there's so many things about it that check off all my boxes for what I'm looking for in a good brand or business to start on Amazon. But there's hundreds of products like this. And I've talked to so many people now and coached people, you know, personally on their businesses. And so I know a lot of people out there who are, you know, trying to get into this thing, you know, there's not a product out there. Everything's too saturated. I promise you there are so many products and brands and businesses out there that you could still start and be super successful with. Cool. And so, okay. So how did you go about the, the process? Because your wife was creating them all hand stitched. You had designs. How did you go from like, a design with a lot of manual labor to, you know, outsourcing that and getting like boxed stuff in your house. Yeah. I mean, I'll give the super cliff notes version right here. Cause I could talk about that whole process in detail for hours, but basically I just went through the process of validating the product idea using jungle scout. I wanted to make sure there was a market demand for it on Amazon and make sure that I felt like we could position ourselves competitively in the market. So I analyzed who else was already out there selling, what they were doing, 
looked at what they were doing well, what we didn't like. And then we worked on just coming up with a strategy of how can we be different and better than what's out there. I think if you focus honestly on those two things, how can I be different and how can I be better? Then you have a really good chance of success. Sorry, what did you see in like the bandana market? How did you differentiate yourself? Yeah, we just saw a need for a premium quality product. And honestly, that's what I really preach is I preach building a premium brand because there is so much opportunity for premium brands on Amazon. Amazon, like the whole trend with Amazon, you know, a few years ago was to be cheaper than retail. Like that was the big selling point. And that's why so many people, you know, made the switch over to Amazon was like, think about it. People would go to stores and look at it and see the price and be like, I can buy it for Amazon cheaper. And once they came out with their prime two day shipping, it was like a no brainer. People were like, I can either spend 30 bucks in the store for whatever this product is, or I can buy it for 20 bucks on Amazon and get it in two days. And that's how Amazon massively scaled up in just like a few years, right? So what that created though, was that created a massive like price war for being the cheapest. And a lot of people teach this still to this day. A lot of Amazon FBA guys and girls, I guess, teach this of go find a product with a massive demand and you know, source the cheapest thing you can from China, sell it for the next lowest price, sell a ton. You'll only make, you know, really slim margins. But then when someone undercuts you, find a different product and do it again. Amazon just turned into this like price war of like, who can be the cheapest? Who can be the cheapest? Who can be the cheapest? So I look at Amazon for dog bandanas and everything is cheap. Like you can buy 12 packs of dog bandanas for like $10.99. So like super cheap and... I mean, yeah, they're getting tons of sales, but it's like their profit margins are next to nothing and it's not a good quality product. Like I'm not putting that on my dog. I'm sorry. And so we realized, you know, there's markets for everything. You have like the cheap customer market in anything, it cars, watches, jewelry, anything, clothes. There's the people who will pay a hundred dollars for a t-shirt. And then there's people who will only pay five bucks for a t-shirt. So we saw on Amazon, Tons of people selling the $5 t-shirt version of dog bandanas, but no one was selling the $100 t-shirt version. And so we decided, you know what, we're going to come in and we're going to be the premium brand. Like we're going to be the most expensive, but we're going to be the nicest, the best quality. And that's what we did. And that's what honestly, what a lot of people that I, I work with and coach is look for an opportunity that you can be the best. Like you can be the most premium product available. Cool. And so you contact a bunch of suppliers, probably overseas, uh, the samples shipped to your your place, you and your wife and your neighbors, you know, looked at them and then you probably had small batches created. And then how did that process go? Honestly, you, you nailed it right there. Like it took us about nine months though, to do the sourcing part of it. And I will say this though, we are very, very deliberate about the process. Like we're not the type that we're just going to rush through it and, you know, pick the first supplier we find and then go from there. We want our product to be perfect. And I know that can, you know, be debilitating to some people, but we're very focused long-term on this, on this. Like we want to see a long-term vision of growth for the company. So we want to make sure we're the best. So I spent nine months reaching out to suppliers, getting quotes, getting photos, getting estimates, and then, yeah, once we kind of whittled it down, we'd order some samples from different suppliers. And we got really lucky. One of the very first samples we got was awesome. Like we got it and we were really stoked about the quality and we just went from there. And so, yeah, then it just turned into we place our first order and start selling on Amazon. And the funny thing is, like, I remember our first order was like, I think we ordered 150 packs. So we sell a four pack right now. We ordered 150 packs and that was huge for us. That was like massive, like, holy cow, we're going to order 150 packs. Our first couple of months, we were only selling one pack a day. So it was like, we'd sell like, you know, 30, 40 packs in a month. Fast forward one year later, like one year later doing this business, we order close to $20,000 worth of product. That's not like sale price. That's like us paying our manufacturer. We'll order gosh, how many did we just order the other day? I actually have 27 boxes coming from our supplier this week. Thousands of packs, like five, six, seven thousand packs now 
every month to where we were ordering, like I said, 150. So things can change very quickly. <laughs> Interesting. I think you, you tweeted about that the other day or something like the first week was, I don't know, 26 bucks or 260 bucks. I, ca I can't remember the exact number, but you, you tweeted that a lot changed in two years. Yeah, we sold, I mean, I could look up the numbers, but it was like, we sold like $800, I think our first month. And now we sell $800 in like a few hours. Like we sell more now in one day than we sold in our first two months. And that, again, that's in one year from starting. Like we sold our very first pack July of 2019. And now it's November of 2020. So we're like, you know, what is that? 16, 17 months in just over a year. And now we're consistently 50 to $70,000 in sales per month. And we'll probably push that up over $100,000 a month in 2021. Interesting. And so if you wanted to like get your own design, could be bandana, could be, I don't know, kitchen towel, stuff like that. How do you go from like, okay, I have my own design. How do I get it on a actual product and get it in-house? So how does that process go, the design and stuff like that? Yeah. So you can either design, I mean, for any product, whatever you want to sell, you could design it yourself if you're skilled enough with like Adobe Photoshop or InDesign or Illustrator or you can outsource it. And we honestly, we outsource all of our designs. I'm pretty good with Adobe Suite, so like Illustrator, but I'm not the most artistic guy in the world. So we hire top graphic designers, most of them are women, to do our designs for us. And so we just, you know, work with them, find very specific designers, depending on what we're looking for, for those designs, get our design files, and then send them over to our manufacturer, and then they custom make it. And it, you can really, honestly, these days, you can custom make anything. So whether it's a backpack or clothing or whatever it is, even like tumblers or, you know, cups and stuff, you can pretty much get anything custom made exactly how you want it. Interesting. And so how much like ballpark, if somebody would want to create, you know, a banana or a kitchen towel or something like that, what would you be set back money wise? How much would you have to spend on the design? what you said there at the end, like how much would you spend for the design? Like, I mean, obviously there's little pieces of the whole puzzle, but I guess a, a simple answer is I tell my students and people that I work with a good starting budget for this to start your own branded product is around five to $10,000. That's personally what I would recommend starting with or having saved up. That's, you know, for some people quite a bit of money and that's part so doing the research you know you get the, the samples that's a couple hundred bucks then you need to do the design and then you well if you sell if only buy like 10 pieces you won't get a good price because you need to you know have a, at least a decent price to begin with so you need to ship at least yeah 100 pieces probably or a couple of hundred before you can get a decent uh, purchasing price right yeah so that that budget is yeah to cover all those things tools software you need designs, logos, LLCs, samples, your first order, and then potentially, you know, ordering your second and third order. Because the biggest challenge with this business is cash flow. A lot of people don't understand that. But you know, before you really make money with your like, let's say your first order, you already need to be ordering your second order, you know, to replenish your inventory in the way you know, a supply chain works, that does take a lot of cash to grow and scale this type of business. So for us, I mean, we started this business with $10,000, but we've invested a lot more over time. That's how we grew it so fast. So like when I tell people, how did you go from selling $800 in your first month to 12 months later selling $50,000? It's like, well, we invested more cash into the business. So we could release more products, order, bigger quantities, basically up everything, up the spend on our pay-per-click. And that's how that's how you scale. Interesting. And so so you pay on Amazon to get like uh, sponsored listings. And so the first month you sold, so $700. What were the things that really moved the needle towards your 50K or 70K months uh, right now? Well, the most important thing is reviews. So getting good reviews, good five-star reviews is extremely important. The second thing I would say is being able to profitably spend on Amazon pay-per-click. 
So that's Amazon's native advertising platform. So if you go to Amazon and you search product, you'll see like a little sponsored icon. Being able to profitably do that is extremely important. It's just like Facebook ads. So you'll see people, you know, drop shipping on using Facebook ads. If you can spend $1 on a Facebook ad and make $2, then budget doesn't become an issue. It's not a matter of like, oh, I can't spend $1,000 this month on ads. It's like, yes, you can. Because every time you spend $1,000, you're making $2,000. So same thing for Amazon pay-per-click. So once you start optimizing your campaigns and you realize, hey, if I put in a dollar and I make $2, I'm going to crank this thing up as far as I can. And so that's what we do is we'll launch a new product or variation or whatever, start our Amazon pay-per-click campaign. We'll start at like 20, 25 bucks a day, optimize it, optimize it. And as it continues to get better, we crank that ad spend up and we have campaigns for SKUs that we spend $100, $200 a day just for that one product. Wow. And so what uh, kind of cost per click do you get on, on Amazon? That really depends on your product. And also it, it probably works the same as on Google. You get a ranking based on how much you bid. Yeah. If, if I had to compare Amazon pay-per-click ads to another ad platform, I would say Google AdWords is the closest. It's a lot more like Google AdWords than it is like Facebook ads, which makes sense because Amazon essentially is a search engine, right? So people are going and searching keywords and you're bidding on certain keywords, just like Google. Whereas Facebook is more based on, you know, the algorithm and interruption marketing based on interest. It's not so much keywords. So yeah, you bid on keywords and you could get cost per clicks anywhere from, I mean, depending on what the keyword is and how popular and how much demand and uh, competition you could have clicks for 10 cents or clicks for $2. So yeah. And depending on what you sell. So like if you're selling something super duper competitive, that's a high ticket item, high profit margin item. So electronics probably like big ticket electronics that are super high demand headphones, maybe you might see clicks in the $2 range versus if you're selling something really cheap with low demand, you could probably get clicks for just a few cents. And ballpark, what's what's like the conversion rate on ads? It really depends on your product and product listing. Very similar to Google, but I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Conversion rates can range anywhere from like 5% to 20% as far as, you know, clicks to purchases. Yeah, like I said, it just really depends on how optimized your your campaign is and how good your product listing is. Yeah, so you know, you'll spend at least $2 on a sale if you have 5% conversion rate and a, a dime like per click, I guess. Yeah, and so I know that Amazon is pretty strict on like um, the review stuff. So I heard from somebody that if, let's say you have my phone number in, in your phone, in your address book, I won't be able to give you like a review because Amazon checks that or something like that. If, if people are too close to you, you can't like buy the product and, and give a review because, you know, that'll skew results. Or how do you, how do you look at that? The review game is really tricky. And I'm not going to go into super duper detail on here because for that very reason, Amazon has their little spider bots all over the internet. And I've heard too from other sources and people very close to Amazon. We're lucky and have a few connections of people who have worked at Amazon and know people and their little, you know, internet spiders, they can scan a lot of data on the internet. So yeah, I don't recommend posting on social media. Like don't use even the DMs. Like even if it's private, don't be sending messages, private messages to people saying, hey, review my product or whatever, because they're always looking for data and they'll scan all sorts of blogs, websites, social media sites, looking for people that are violating their review terms. Interesting. But, and then still, reviews is like the, the life you get on, on Amazon. The more reviews, the more like five-star reviews you get, the more sales you'll get. So how did you, you know, at least in the beginning, how did you, you know, get that flywheel going? That's a really good question. If you're lucky enough to have a lot of friends and family members that will support you, I would definitely start there. Again, though, you need to be very careful. Like just an example, like I wouldn't personally, like let's say I got 10 friends that live here in Provo, like in my hometown. I wouldn't ask all 10 of my friends here in Provo to go buy my product and leave a review. 
anything that looks unnatural, you got to think about this as a computer thinks and looks at it because a computer is what's analyzing this. If a computer sees, hey, this guy just launched a product on Amazon. He just got his first 10 sales. All 10 sales came from Provo, Utah, and every single sale left a five-star review. Does that seem natural? No. Like if you were to think about it, how naturally do reviews happen? Not every person who buys a product leaves a review. In fact, I'd argue like a very small percent, like maybe one or 2% of people actually leave a review. So if every one of your people buying your product are leaving reviews, Amazon's going to be like, bing, red flag, all these purchases are leaving reviews and they're all five stars. Not saying you should go get one star reviews. I do not recommend that. But the point is, you just need to be very careful. And if you just think about it that way and think, hmm, like, would this put up a big red flag if I was a computer noticing this? You probably shouldn't do it. So you want to make it look as natural as possible. Make sure that if you're getting reviews from friends and family, they all live in different places. Call your Aunt Ruth who lives in North Carolina or your friend from college who moved back home to Minnesota. Like you want reviews from all over the country. You don't want them all coming in at the same time. You don't want them all coming in like for every single sale. So some of your sales you don't want to review, especially when you're first starting out. Like it's okay to get sales without reviews simply because you want to make sure you're being natural about the process. And and when you don't have reviews, is it like really necessary to do the pay-per-click stuff? Or can you also get, you know, organic sales? I 100% recommend doing pay-per-click from day one and never looking back. I would turn on pay-per-click from the day you launch for 20 bucks a day and never, ever turn it off. I'm assuming you're, you can optimize it Even if to you're the point where it's like, okay, hey, I'm optimized as best as I can and I'm only breaking even, do not turn them off. Because the way that Amazon works is they actually reward people who spend money on pay-per-click. Because think about it this way. Amazon makes their money in two ways, right? They make their money from you selling your product on their website. They get a fee, an FBA fee. So they take a 20% commission of that. And then they make money if you spend money on ads. So what is Amazon's goal? Amazon's goal is to make a lot of money. So how do they make money? When you sell more products and when you spend more money on ads. So if you're spending more money on ads, naturally they're going to try to reward you with more sales, which is also going to give them more money. So as long as you have a really good product, like your product doesn't suck, you're getting good reviews, then yeah, you should be spending pay-per-click all the time because Amazon is even going to reward you organically for that. We found that Even when we spend money on super competitive keywords that maybe we're not really profitable on, we still get organic ranking for those keywords because we're showing Amazon, we care about these keywords. I know we're not making a lot of money from these keywords, but we care about them. We're spending our money. We're giving you our money in hopes that we can show up for these keywords. And then Amazon kind of throws you a bone, no pun intended, but uh, saying, yeah, here's a couple organic uh, you know, rankings for those keywords. Cool. All right. And so YouTube, Amazon, and a little bit after you started your um, YouTube channel, you also launched your uh, Twitter, I guess. What was the trigger to uh, get on the Twitter train? <laughs> yeah. So I've attempted Twitter a couple times in the past with very little success, but I didn't really understand how to use Twitter effectively. I was the type that was, you know, writing my blog back when I was blogging. And I would make it so every time I published a blog, it automatically posted to Twitter. You can do that in WordPress and whatever. And I never logged into Twitter. I never went on there. I didn't engage with anyone. I just like, well, I'm going to get traffic from Twitter and just post a blog post. And so I didn't know how to really use it as a community. My son was born last December. I mean, for anyone out there that has a newborn baby or has had a baby, you know that like you're always holding them. So like, they're either taking a nap or you're holding them pretty much because they can't really sit up or do anything or you setting them in their little chair or something. So I was always holding my son for like that first month, two months, you know? And so I'd be in his room, which is right behind this wall in our little rocking chair, you know, just rocking him, rocking him to sleep, rocking him for a nap. And I was thinking to myself, like, I can't work on my YouTube videos doing this. I can't make videos. Like, I can't do anything. Like I lost all my free time taking care of this kid. So I was like, 
I need to find a way to use my phone to build my business. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I can't sit here and take photos, right, for Instagram, but what can I do? I can tweet. I, I can tweet all day long right here from this rocking chair. So that's when I was like, aha moment. I need to get serious about Twitter because I can do this from the rocking chair. <laughs> so I, I relaunched my account. I had like 600 followers and I just started tweeting like a madman. Cool. And yeah, it's grown quite a bit since then. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I'm wondering how many dads or moms decided to start Twittering when they had it, when they had their first kid. <laughs> It's nice. honestly the best social media platform for not really having to do anything other than type, right? Yeah, exactly. And so you've grown to like uh, what is it? 25, 25,000 followers right now. We've been on Twitter for a couple of years. So back in December last year, you started. So a little less than a year. What things did you see that really worked? Because, you know, you've grown here quite nicely. You probably, you know, your YouTube channel helped helped a little bit. Your your previous blogs might have helped a little bit. Walk us through that. Yeah, so I'm going to give you my, like, super duper Twitter course right here in, like, 60 seconds. Again, going back to what I said at the very beginning of this podcast, I'm not afraid to try anything. I'll test out everything. So I started doing Twitter, right? And I'm like, okay, I need to grow. How am I going to grow? And I honestly was like, I need to get my tweets in front of more people. So how do I do that? Well, I could run ads. So what did I do? I tested out Twitter ads just to get my tweets out to more people. So I literally paid for Twitter ads to get some more followers. My account, Twitter ads account, actually got shut down in like three weeks permanently because I guess some of my tweets had stuff about making money and they don't allow that in their terms or something. I don't know, I didn't read and I didn't really care. And so I was like, your account is permanently suspended. So I was like, well, can't run Twitter ads anymore. So then I started looking at other ways. I'm like, okay, hey, how can I boost up my engagement to get more people to see my tweets? So then I started DMing people to form like an engagement group, right? So I'd find like five or six people and we'd all support each other. So every day we'd get a tweet and then, you know, we'd retweet that tweet. And I did the whole engagement group thing for a couple months. And I, I started personally like four or five different engagement groups that I was in charge of. So pretty much every day of the week, I was guaranteed one of my tweets that I'd get six or seven retweets and it would go mini viral and get more retweets and I get a bunch of followers. So I did that for a while. Well, then I started exploring other promotion methods. Like how can I pay to grow my account? Just like Instagram ads or Facebook ads, right? So I couldn't run Twitter ads anymore because my account was shut down. So I thought, well, influencer marketing. So I started reaching out to big accounts with big followings and saying, you know, how much does it cost for you to retweet me? And so I'd do that for a little bit. Uh, got a bunch of followers that way. Then I made some connections with some other people who had big accounts who, you know, same type of thing was like, hey, do you pay for retweets or like can like do shout outs, promos? Like, no, but I do giveaways. So like there's tons of accounts out there that do this, but I have a, I'll call him my friend now because we have a good relationship and I feel like he does a great job with it where he'll give away like a hundred dollars to his followers if you retweet and follow Andy Isom. So I did that a few times and got a bunch of followers. And so it's kind of that game of like, yeah, how can you collaborate, promote, engage, spend your money to expand your reach, to get your content in front of more people? And a lot of people hate on this. Like, so I see so many tweets out there and I just kind of giggle that they're like, paying for giveaways and paying for this is bull crap and blah, blah, blah. And there are people out there with 720 followers on Twitter and they've had 720 followers for the last three years and they're making zero dollars. And I just kind of laugh at them and say, I mean, that's your opinion. If you want to like grow organically or whatever, you go for that, man. You do that. And in five years, you call me when you get to a thousand followers. But uh, for people who understand like spending money for marketing, all you're doing is spending money to get your product, whether that's a tweet or an Amazon product in front of more people. Not all those people are going to be your biggest fans. Like hmm. if you have 25,000 followers, you're not going to get 25,000 retweets. 
Like that's just not how it works. But the more followers you get, the more chance you get of finding those true followers who are going to grow into engagers for you. Yeah, that's a good point. I think not many people look at their Twitter account as like an investment. You know, if you have like 20, 25,000 followers, well, you can create some serious revenue with that. People can literally live off their Twitter account if you have 20,000 followers. You know, that's, I think, important. And the thing you mentioned as well, somebody who wants to grow organically 720 followers and in a year time, he'll be at 1,000. You also have to look at everything costs money. You know, he can grow that account. He'll have to, you know, tweet 10 times as much to get a little bit more traction instead of, you know, taking like a different path. And you know, you might need to invest a bit of money, but it'll, you know, decrease the time span. And probably if you recalculate, you know, I, I don't know, you could say hey, I'm, I'm worth 50 bucks an hour or 30 or 100. If you, you know, do the math, you'll probably be off cheaper than, you know, doing everything organically. A hundred percent. And like I said, like, I'll just touch on the giveaway thing again. Like, let's say you spend a hundred bucks on a giveaway with, you know, a collab with someone and you get 2000 new followers. Are all 2000 of those followers going to be buyers like who buy your product or, you know, retweet all your tweets? No, very likely. No, because honestly you got them for really cheap. Like if you get 2000 followers for a hundred bucks, that's really cheap. If you want to go run a Twitter ad, and do like a really targeted, like I only want my tweets to show to people who are interested in business and this and this, and they're 25 years old and da, da, da. You're going to spend two bucks a follower. Like I've done it. I've run Twitter ads. You will spend $2 per follower. But with those 2000 followers for a hundred bucks, even if just 10 of those people become like an actual, like true fan, we'll call them 10 of those people who will like your tweets, retweet your tweets, maybe eventually buy your, you know, ebook course, whatever product you sell, even if you sell a physical product, you can make your money back. Like you spend a hundred bucks, you get 10 people to buy your $20 product. You just made a hundred bucks, right? You're profitable. So that's the game. Like that's the marketing game. Didn't you create like the affiliate club? Wasn't that your uh, yeah. thing? Yeah. How's that going now? I'll for sure touch on that. So That was like my first real Twitter business model, I guess. Like that was my first big product offering on Twitter. And I saw a need, like everyone was talking about affiliate marketing, but I felt like no one really knew what they were doing. Like I saw a lot of weird practices in it and I had done affiliate marketing. So like I said, 2015, four years ago, five years ago, I was blogging with affiliate marketing. That's the reason I did it. I was doing YouTube with affiliate marketing. I've done Instagram. So I knew how affiliate marketing worked. And I was like, we need a better way to teach people and connect people in this affiliate marketing world. So I started the affiliates club to try to connect people and teach them how to do affiliate marketing. I released a full video course. I have like a ton of videos that teach people all my strategies. I wanted to produce like a high quality program for people because I saw a lot of programs that were just like, meh. Like, it's okay. I mean, it's decent information, but I wanted something from my own experience. I don't really promote it now anymore. It still exists. I don't really even have like, I think I still have a sales page, but I don't really push it or anything or promote it. The course is still there. All my videos are still there. There's a bunch of people's products in there, but it was kind of one of those things where I guess to explain why I don't promote it so much anymore is I came to a crossroads about three or four months ago to where... I was really like building the affiliates club. Like that was my thing, right? I was like trying to grow it and push it. Everyone was asking me about Amazon. Everyone was asking me about Amazon. Like my DMs were about Amazon. I would tweet about affiliate marketing. I'd get four likes and two retweets. I'd tweet about how my Amazon business was going. I'd get a hundred likes and 30 retweets and five DMs. So it was just kind of like that point where I was like, and I talked to my wife about this too. I was like, I'm getting so much interest and buzz around my Amazon business content, but I want to grow the affiliates club and like, but I don't want to chase two birds and, you know, or or chase two rabbits and split my time. And I was just getting so distracted with so many different things that I was like, I need to think long-term for myself. Where am I most interested in? What do I want to do? And it was Amazon because I'm going to keep building my Amazon brand. I'm really passionate about it. I like talking about that more. Affiliate marketing was just more of a thing where like I saw an opportunity and it was like here on Twitter, really only it was just basically Twitter. 
but it wasn't really my true passion. I was just trying to, you know, teach people about affiliate marketing, monetize it in a way for myself. But my true passion is in brand building and Amazon and that business. And so I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to put that on the shelf. I'm not going to spend my time on it. And, and I'm going to focus on Amazon. And so, and you actually, you, I don't know, did you, did you fill your last two spots, your coaching uh, spots, because you started a coaching program a while back and now yeah. you're, you're actually turning that off again, probably because you want to focus even more on your own brand or not? So I will clarify that. So I started offering coaching because everyone was DMing me. Yeah. Do you do coaching, do coaching, do coaching, do mentoring, coaching, da, da, da. Like, okay, fine. I'll offer coaching. So I did a group coaching program. I had eight students. And it went great. And then after I was getting, I mean, a lot of feedback and interest for private one-on-one coaching. So then I started offering private one-on-one coaching. But uh, basically, my time has filled up. So I got a bunch of clients, a bunch of people that I coach, and I do Zoom calls with them. But I only have so much time in the day, right? And I still got to you know, work on my business. And I want to have free time to do what I want. I don't want to be on the phone for nine hours a day. So I have reached my limit. So I have my max number of students that I want to coach one-on-one. So I'm going to shut that down. But uh, I still want to be able to help people. Like I still really, really want to be able to coach and mentor people with this. So I'm actually working with a couple other people, some business coaches and mentors of mine on developing something a little more scalable, something that I can help more people for a lower price but still be a coaching slash mentorship type of program where I can give feedback. That's the biggest, biggest value I think with this type of business is I can create YouTube videos all day. Like if you want to see YouTube videos, tutorials on how to do things, that is 100% free. I tell you in my podcast, like my goal is not to create another video course of like, here's my video course on how to, how to do Amazon here. It's $2,000. My thing is like, I'm going to create all that content for you for free. But if you're the type of person that's like, I want someone to hold me accountable. I want someone that can answer my questions. I want someone that can help me every step along the way. That's what a coaching program is about. And so, yeah, I'm working on developing something like that where I can help more people in less time, I guess. Interesting. Cool, man. Hey, this is fun. Where can people uh, find you, uh, Andy? You can find me all over the place, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. My Twitter and Instagram handles are andyisom100k. And the 100k thing is honestly like I was restarting my account and Andy Isom was already taken. So I was like, (laughs) I need to add something to the end so that I can have a username. And I was like, well, my goal is to get to, you know, 100,000 YouTube subscribers make $100,000. So I'm like, I'll do 100K. That'll be a good reminder for me on what my goals are. Excellent. But yeah, you can find me there. Or if you just go to my website, andyisom.com, I've got links to everything, my podcast, social media. So yeah, that's that's another good place. Okay, man. Thanks, uh, Andy. Great to have you on. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I had a good time. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. If you enjoyed this one, please leave an iTunes review and give us a shout out on Twitter. See you again next week.